Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. My guest today is Clint Johnson, the founder of Profitable PPO, a company that helps dental practices prove their profitability while contracted with PPOs. In addition, they will take practices that are not contracted with PPOs and help them get the highest fee schedules possible. In our conversation today, we will discuss the changing landscape of PPOs in dentistry and what dental practices need to know about any changes they are considering when it comes to PPOs and dental insurance. I'm looking forward to this enlightening conversation. Now, let's get started. My name is Kim McGuire. Thank you so much for joining me with Fortune Management. We have a wonderful guest this evening, and I'm super excited to talk to an old friend, Clint Johnson. Clint is the founder of Profitable PPO, and his specialty, he's very, very passionate about optimizing PPO plans. And he specifically works with clients on helping his dental clients participate in the right PPOs so that they can get the most out of those PPOs in the most profitable way. So the founder of Profitable PPOs, Clint Johnson, welcome. Thanks so much. Great to have you. See you again. Yeah, wonderful. I know we did a podcast years ago and uh, it's just great to keep in touch with you. I know many of my clients have used your services and this is, I know, a hot topic because the last maybe... I don't know, year, 18 months, things have really changed in the PPO landscape and in the dental world in general, haven't they? Absolutely. It's especially since COVID, it's been a bit of a scramble for some practices. And and between the changes with how PPOs are are kind of formatted and some of the changes there along with COVID, yeah, it's it's changed significantly for a number of practices. Okay, so let's talk specifically, what are some of the changes are you seeing right now in 2021 that might be different than the past? Yeah, we've, we've really seen a, an unfortunate continuance of a trend that started a couple of years ago, but it's really accelerating these days. And that is the linking of different PPO networks. So PPOs a few years ago became very clear that they didn't want doctors to be out of network because that's the most profitable thing for a doctor when they're seeing a patient, but it's the least profitable thing for an insurance company. So what they did is they came up with this scam, a scheme, a racket, whatever you might want to call it, to pull mold more doctors in a network. And basically what has happened is if you were a doctor and you were to join an insurance plan, what you may not know is that insurance company has linked up in many cases with two, three, four other insurance companies. So you sign a single agreement. And now, Kim, you might you might get put into seven or eight other PPO networks, all using that single fee schedule. So that's really started to accelerate since last year. And uh, what we would say to a doctor right now is, if you're going to sign an agreement, you should probably assume that it's going to also bundle you with three or four other PPOs. And you really need to be clear about who those other PPOs are so that you can understand the financial ramifications of PPO participation with all of those. So that, that's really gotten crazy. Just to give you a, a tangible example, if a doctor were to join somebody like Aetna today, well, they may not know that Aetna is also linked with Emeritus and Aetna is linked with Guardian and Aetna is linked with Assurant, Sun Life. And so that one single agreement will put that doctor into more plans 
which is great for the insurance company because now they get to pay out a lower amount when the doctor sees an insurance patient or a principal patient or a guardian patient or an emeritus patient. So that that's really been an unfortunate trend that's really crushing the profit margins for a lot of doctors. So you're not talking about necessarily like Carrington or these other umbrella plans. You're talking about like I signed up with Aetna or Guardian or whatever, and you're, how would a dentist know if they happen to be connected with all those other ones as well? Sure. So a couple of thoughts are, number one, what, what we're referring to here is really shared networks. So that's different than a company like a, a Carrington or a Mavericks or a Zealous or a Stratos or a Dentamax. Those are essentially recruiter companies okay. that represent a conglomerate of, of different insurances. What we're really talking about here is one insurance company sharing with another. If we were to take the example of United Concordia, if a doctor in Denver signs up for United Concordia, what he or she may not know is that Concordia has links to, I I believe, 17 other insurance companies. So the only way they're going to know is to not sign any agreement until they've actually asked the company that they're signing the contract with to disclose who else they have relationships with. And once you have that information disclosed to you, then you can look at those other companies and say, okay, if I had to use the PPO fees for them, how much would it cost? So again, using an example, if I were going to join United Concordia, United Concordia is linked to principal. So I would want to see if I were a doctor, how many principal patients do I have? And what would the financial ramification of now seeing all those patients at Concordia fees be? And Concordia has a relationship with Emeritus. What would the impact there be? Same with Dental Network of America. So you have to ask if you're a doctor looking to sign up for a PPO, or you have to hire a professional who studies these things on a daily basis and kind of knows who's linked with who. But most of the large national plans, uh, Delta being the the really the the rare exception, most of them have a relationship with, with several other plans. So again, anybody on the line, if they are, should they go to all their contracted insurance companies and ask them to disclose the other relationships that they have? Yeah, they they could do that. The other way to do it would be an EOB audit, which is simply the process of having a front desk person categorize all the EOBs, not based upon the insurance company, but based upon the fee schedule that they use. So there's those $20 $20 accordion folders that you can get at Staples or Office Max that are in alphabetical that, that have different tabs for each letter. And they can get an EOB, post the payment, and then you file the EOB based upon the name of the fee schedule. So as an example, if we were using Guardian, you wouldn't file Guardian under G if Guardian was using the United Healthcare fee schedule. You would file Guardian under U for United Healthcare. And after doing that for a month or so, you look at all those. And you could say, okay, under our United Healthcare fee schedule, Emeritus is using that, Guardian's using that. So that's an, an, an easier way to do it than calling up all the insurance companies because that can get to be a pretty laborious task to call them all up, ask them to send you the information, which they may or may not do, or they may take weeks to do it. So looking at EOBs is a, is a pretty simple way to do it. I love that idea. It, and forgive my, I, I'm not exactly sure. On the EOB, would it say using the guardian fee schedule, it'll actually say that? Yeah, in, in many cases, it, it will say that. Okay. And uh, it, it will say this claim is processed using the reciprocal fee schedule of such and such company. Now, there are some that, that don't, 
But when you look at the fees, you can pretty easily match those up with a fee schedule. So as an example, if a practice had an umbrella plan like a Dentamax, MetLife may not say that it's using the Dentamax fee schedule, but if you just look at what's the fee for a 120, a periodic eval or a 150 new patient eval, if you look at that fee and it matches the Dentamax fee schedule, then you know that's the fee schedule they're using. So that's a pretty easy way to do it that doesn't take up hours and hours of a front desk person's time to, to figure out who they're in network with. Okay, so they could think that they're only in network with, say, three companies, but really it's more like 20. What would they do? Do they have any ability to say, I only want to be with this company and not that company? Yeah, absolutely, they do. So. A, a couple of things there. One option would be, let, let's just use the example of emeritus and, and principal because they, emeritus is near the top of the alphabetical list. If a doctor discovered that they're in principle using the emeritus fees, one option is to file what's called an opt-out, which would be a communication filed with emeritus that says, I no longer agree to let you share your fee schedule with principal. And you file that request. It can be on letterhead. Some insurance companies have it as an actual form, but you, you can file that with emeritus. And typically within about 60 days, that link then between the two companies would be broken and you could no longer use that emeritus fee schedule. Okay. So what, that, and what, is there another option? Sure. Um, another option would be if the doctor wants to be in principle, then they could reach out to principal and say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in being in your network as we are now, but I'm no longer willing to do so under the emeritus fees. So I like you, but I don't like your, your strategic partner. Make me an offer to join directly. And a direct agreement, meaning a, an agreement between a doctor and an insurance company, typically supersedes any third party that, that might be in the middle there. So that would be a, another option that, that they could pursue. And certainly if a doctor hasn't yet signed up for an insurance company, ask them to disclose who they have a relationship with. And when you would send in your application to join, then you include a letter saying, I'm willing to join your network, but I'm not willing to join any or all of these networks that you may have an affiliation with. So we really coach doctors that if they're going to join a PPO network, be very, very clear on who's going to be affiliated with it and take a more surgical approach, meaning don't just let them put you into as many networks as they would like. Be very clear about which networks you would like to join with the fee schedule that you're agreeing to. Okay. Wow. That is great information. I had no idea that they had been connecting the, the shared network so much more. What else are you seeing in this new landscape? One of the, the challenges that we see for a lot of doctors, because PPOs are growing. We, we know that every year, the number of doctors taking PPOs goes up, as well as the number of PPOs that they take is going up. Now, a lot of that is driven from these, these shared networks. That's the evil scheme, so to speak. But one of the unfortunate trends we're also seeing is pressure being put on the doctor by their front desk team to join all of the networks, okay? Because that makes it easier on front desk people if they can just say, yep, we're in that, that network, or yes, come on in. So we're seeing a lot of doctors who are saying, my front desk person tells me I need to get into all these PPOs. And... Uh, that's not something that we deal with. We don't, we don't do coaching. We don't do front desk training. But that's a challenge when a practice owner is getting pressure from their front desk person to join more PPO networks. That's certainly a, uh, a negative trend that we see. And then the other trend to really be aware of is 
is with PPO negotiation. PPO negotiation is not nearly as effective as it used to be. Mm, okay. And that's the bad news. Now, the good news is it's been replaced by other things. But just to, to clarify, PPO negotiation is not as effective now as it used to be because of all these links. So let's say company A and company B have a relationship. If the doctor has an agreement with both company A and company B, if the doctor goes to company A and says, hey, I want to negotiate the fees, that insurance company knows that the doctor is also in company B that they're linked with. Okay, so they would basically say, we're not interested in giving you better fees. And if you're unhappy with that, go ahead and end your agreement with us because we know that you're in network with our linked network. Mm -hmm. We're just going to keep you in network with them via their fee schedule. So we see a lot of situations where a doctor gets fed up. Now, this, this is before they come to us because we wouldn't let them do this, but we see a lot of situations where a doctor will get frustrated with the plan, say terminate it. Well, they terminate it only to be picked right back up under the, the network share of some other company. And therefore, they dropped one fee schedule and got put back in to network at an even lower one. So that's a really dangerous trend that is ratcheting down the fees even further than the doctors intended. So this whole entire, the first or initial conversation that we're having really is what th this whole partner thing has really affected the fee schedules that it's affected the negotiating power of the practice. So it sounds to me like the first step is really finding out who the heck am I even contracted with? Because there might be several PPOs they didn't even realize. And then let me just ask you this, my brain is going to, so if they're think that they're not contracted with this insurance company and they're charging the patient the remaining amount up to their UCR fee, are they essentially unknowingly committing insurance fraud? Well, it, we've certainly seen cases where that's, that's true. Now, it is somewhat uncommon because on the EOB, it would typically show the UCR amount and then the, the contracted amount. Contracted amount. So I see. If a, if a doctor is A, not submitting their UCR fees, then they need to stop doing that. A doctor should always submit UCR fees on every claim because you can never be sure what PPO fees are going to be used. But beyond that, if that UB comes back and it shows that there's a contractual adjustment, then the front desk person really needs to delve into that if they're not clear on what that contractual adjustment is coming from. So we don't see very many of them committing insurance fraud by charging the patient, but we mm -hmm. certainly do see a lot of situations where front desk people are just so darn busy. They have so much on their plate. We see a lot of situations where there will be a PPO adjustment applied to a claim that didn't have to be there because the doctor no longer participates with an insurance company or they've opted out. But we see situations all the time where an insurance company is using a fee schedule from three or four years ago that the doctor no longer participates with. And so, yeah, that's, that's a scary trend. So not only finding out about any partnerships unknowingly, but really also checking on all those fee schedules and seeing that they're the accurate ones in their system. Absolutely. We, we yeah. suggest that every practice have a living, breathing document that Microsoft is Microsoft Excel is typically the best or, or Google Sheets, something like that. Uh -huh. Document that on a yearly basis is updated to reflect who they're with and how they're with it. Because to be clear, just because a doctor was participating with an insurance company last year through method A doesn't mean that continues. If there's a lower fee schedule that now becomes available, a doctor can, can be downgraded to that. So again, using 
using Aetna as an example, if the doctor was in Aetna via Guardian last year, and Emeritus and Aetna now have a relationship, if Emeritus's fee is lower, then now Aetna could move to that lower fee schedule. So you can never be sure that what happened last year is going to happen this year, unless you have a document that you, you update on an annual basis. So on the document, every insurance company that we're contracted with and then their fee schedule, do they need the all couple thousand fees or should they pick their top 100 most common? What, what do you suggest? 30. 30 in a, in a GP practice, 30 codes will make up roughly 90% of the total revenues. In a specialty practice, I was looking at an endo practice a few minutes ago, 12 codes made yeah. up uh, almost 90% of the revenue. Um, that makes sense. You shouldn't ever track more than 30 codes because frankly, it just gets so unwieldy uh, that even doing 20 in a GP office will, will probably get you 75% of total revenue based upon those 20 codes. That's wonderful. That is great. Yeah, that's great advice. So top 30 most common procedures, making sure you have the UCR fee schedule and then all your fee schedule and then all of the fee schedules of the contracted um, insurance. And every year they should update that. Absolutely. And, and we have a um, Excel version there. And I'm, I'm happy to send that to you, Kim, for anybody who's on the call tonight. But we have a version that they can just plug their data into Perfect. and happy to share that with them. Uh, and it's it's got the... 18 to 20 largest national plans there. So there's a column for, for Aetna and a column for Emeritus and a column for Assurant and Blue and Cigna and Delta and so on and so forth. So I'm happy to, to share that with anybody who's on the call today. There's no cost for it. It's just a simple way for them to track who they're with and, and how they're with them. Wonderful. Well, thank you for coming for so much abundance. Send it to me and I'll get it off to people. Um, are you seeing any plans that are more successful in increasing fees right now? Yeah, there, there's still quite a few plans that will work with a doctor on their fee schedule. Now, on a renegotiation like that, that's typically a smaller opportunity. So let's let me kind of delve into the first part of your question, but dovetail into a, a second larger opportunity, if that's okay. If we were to look at at large national plans, Aetna for a lot of doctors lowered the fees this past year. So so they're not doing a lot of negotiation, but it's still worth pursuing. Emeritus uh, will often have some flexibility. Cigna will often have some flexibility. Humana often will. Principal United Healthcare will often have some, some flexibility with, with their particular plans. And certainly on the umbrellas, mm. your, your Dentamax, your Connection Dental, Maverest, those are worth pursuing higher fees with as well through a renegotiation. So we would encourage a doctor either to have professional help doing that or to go out and, and chase those opportunities. Now, by virtue of all these linked networks, Kim, the bigger opportunity for a lot of doctors is not renegotiating, but it's consolidation of fees. And what that means is to step back, do an analysis, figure out who they're with and how they're with them as, as you astutely pointed out, but then decide what are the fee schedules we want to build around, okay? So ideally, for a practice that wants to take a lot of PPOs, they don't need to have any more than six total agreements, okay? Because with six fee schedules, you can still get participation in greater than 60 
um, total PPO networks. So the game that is creating the most profit for a doctor now is to identify who has the best fee schedules and then go through a process of aligning payers to use those good fee schedules. So as an example, if company B has a direct agreement and it has a link to company A, putting the fee schedule of company A into place will provide a, a much greater opportunity in many cases. I, uh, I just worked on, on one this morning and so I'm just looking at the numbers to refresh my memory here, but uh, in this particular practice from this morning, when we looked at it, by aligning their PPOs under fewer fee schedules, our target is to add $140,751 to this practice. So what we're doing there, now this is going to take a year to do, but what we're doing is we're going from fewer fee schedule or from many fee schedules to fewer fee schedules and attaching them to those good fee schedules. So we may only have six fee schedules at the end of the day, but we keep PPO participation with them. And, and that's a pretty common thing when we do an assessment. And, and we just use the same Excel sheet that I'm, I'm happy to, to share with, with anybody on the line today, but that's the big opportunity is to identify good fee schedules. Good fee schedules. Stack them, meaning, so what may, maybe the analogy we would use that would be appropriate would be, who are building blocks, meaning what's a good fee schedule that we can attach other insurance companies to, mm -hmm. stumbling blocks, which are who's a bad fee schedule that we don't want anybody else to attach to. Right. And then we kind of have these blocks that are off to the side. They're kind of standalones. That's somebody like a Delta who doesn't really share with mm -hmm. others. But for a lot of practices, somebody like a United Concordia would be a stumbling block because it has 16 to 18 different linked networks. So if a doctor has bad fees with Concordia, they're going to get 16 to 18 linked networks. That would be a huge stumbling block that we must fix in order to prevent all those other companies from using one bad fee schedule. Interesting. Okay. So because of this, all these partnerships, that's why you're seeing PPO participation grow. Um, I, I, I've heard, you know, various things and maybe it's just our, our clients or whatever that are kind of like throwing their hands up and saying, I'm fed up with, with PPOs, especially after the pandemic, I want to go more fee for service. Are you seeing that? Yeah, we, we are seeing it. And thank goodness. Uh, we, what PPOs do to practices is really brutal. It's frustrating. And as a, as a lifelong dental person, it's just, it's, it's sad. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it makes me emotional. Some of the, some of the things we see happening to doctors. So we see doctors who are moving to less PPO participation. Now, unfortunately, it's not a big percentage and really what it is would be doctors who have really good, internal systems in place, specifically really well-trained teams, cohesive teams, teams that have bought into a vision of what the practice is going to do. And the team is on board with reducing PPO participation. Overall, we know PPO participation is going up, but right. yet we, we do see some practices that, that are reducing. And, and frankly, if somebody says to me, you know, what's, what are the best practices when dealing with PPOs? One of them that we would highly, highly encourage doctors to do is to look at their PPO participation on an annual basis and say, what plans am I with that have A, bad fees, and B, make up less than 3% of my revenue and cut those on a yearly basis? Start with yeah. the small and the bad, 
right? right? Because what you may not know as a doctor is that a bad fee schedule that may only have 3% of your revenue or 2% of your revenue, that may be linked to five or six other plans. And it's a really bad day when one crappy fee schedule where you may only have five or six patients is now infecting a Cigna or a MetLife or a principal or a Humana. So one thing I would always encourage would be to, to look at that on an annual basis and see how much volume are you doing with each PPO? And we're talking net revenue here. Net revenue, okay. Mm -hmm. Anybody less than 3% should be on the chopping block. Got uh, it, that's very good advice. Um, oh God, I have so, so many questions. So, um, so, and by the way, just and Kate asked a question, we wanna change our, or look at our fee schedules once a year because they only change them once a year, right? They increase them or they decrease them once a year. What you want to do is you want to look at them on a yearly basis because the, the links between insurance companies change on an annual basis. Okay. So it's not that the insurance companies change their fees. It's that the relationships between them are becoming more and more complex. Now, some will change their fees on an annual basis, but not the majority. What you're trying to do is wrap your arms around it on a yearly basis to figure out who you're with and how you're with them. And if they've downgraded, so, so one of the terms for people to be aware of is what's called payer downgrading. And that is where an insurance company was using a fee schedule last year. And now they have the opportunity to use a new linked fee schedule at lower fees. So a doctor says, oh, I'm in insurance company A. True, but last year you were in insurance company A through one channel. Now you're in it still, but through a lower fee channel. So that's why on an annual basis, you got to look at it. Got to do an EOB audit and figure out who you're with, but also what fee schedule you're using. Okay, great. So you had some best practices. So the, so the EOB audit, which I think is a great idea, get one of those accordion files and, and do it that way. Using the Excel spreadsheet to really take a look at the fees that you're sending to us. Also looking at our own fees and what they are. Finding out what the shared networks, the partnerships there are with all of our contracted fees. We want to make sure that our um, that we have less than six or less agreements that maybe that are the highest fee schedules that are connected. Gosh, great, great advice. Um, and I love what you said too, Clint, about real quick about you know the practices that are able to get rid of some of their. PPOs are the ones with the best systems because, of course, I'm biased and I think that we've got great, you know, systems and teamwork. And I actually, I've witnessed, in fact, some of the people on, on the Zoom call today are some of my clients and I know have amazing teamwork, amazing patient experience, and they are able to drop some of those plans by having great conversations with their patients. And the patients are like, I still love you. I'm willing to pay a little bit more. And so they've gone out of network. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's really the, the driver because let's let's be honest. Most of our dentists, they're not insurance experts, nor do they want to be. They want to be back taking care of the patient. Yes. So they're going to rely on their team to have those conversations about finances with, with the patient. So if the front desk is either not on board or they haven't been given the training and the systems to have those conversations, then that's a very awkward thing. And I tell doctors all the time, jokingly, but please don't run back and hide in your operatory and let your front desk team brave this. You've got to empower them to keep the patient happy. And sometimes you have to empower them to do an adjustment so that they don't have a mad patient about a PPO adjustment or a plan you're not with. But it is crucial that the front desk person be involved in any decision-making about PPOs you're going to drop. Because frankly, they're the ones who are going to have to have the, the difficult conversations with, with the, the patients. 
Right. Right. Well, I know some of the things that we teach. So, well, first of all, getting to the conversation, either on the phone or with the patient, we're willing to accept your, let's say they aren't in network or they're, they are not in network. We're, we are willing to um, take payment from your insurance company, but we're not in network, but being able to be elegant in that communication is really important. So what would you say the steps are if they do want to drop an insurance company um, contract? What would you say the steps are? Yeah. So so the first thing I would say to them is if if they want to drop a PPO, figure out A, how much volume is associated with that. B, look at the benefits for those patients and see what their out-of-network benefits are. As an example, if, if there's a large employer and you have 15 patients from that large employer, check the out-of-network benefits. What a lot of practices find which is awesome, is that those patients will still have their exams, their cleanings, their x-rays paid for 100%. So then it's a much easier conversation to say to a patient, hey, we've we've made a change in our status, but let me reassure you, you can still come here, you can still see your favorite hygienist, you can still see your doctor, uh, but your insurance benefits, we're still going to do everything we can to help you maximize those. And the great news is, it looks like your exams, your cleanings, your x-rays, all those things that you're not used to paying anything for, you're still not going to pay anything for those. So looking wonderful, at that, you wonderful know, languaging, never, ever, ever would be our suggestion. Never send them a letter. Dentistry is a relationship business. Never send them a letter in our opinion and tell them that their insurance is garbage and that you're dropping it. Instead, check their benefits, let them come in and have a need any eye to eye conversation and say, Kim, we love having you here as a patient. I wanted to let you know about a change we've made with how we deal with your insurance. Now, Kim, let me assure you, this change that we've made is not going to impact you at all today. I know you've come in expecting your teeth to be cleaned and to get an exam. I want to assure you, you're not going to pay anything more today than you ever did. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to avoid a situation where a patient feels there was a bait and switch that they came in and then you tell them. So you have to make sure first visit when they come back to the practice you have a conversation and you reassure them that you've got great benefits. We're going to maximize them, but also you're not paying anything more today. And if, if you have to do an extra adjustment for that to be the case, so be it. But the retention rate when you drop a plan is much, much higher. If you actually communicate with patient as if they're a real human versus sending them a a letter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you ever suggest that after you have that need and need, which I completely agree, that conversation with them, set, giving them maybe a sheet of paper outlining what what their options are? Um, because I know that the insurance company is going to send them a nasty letter saying, you can't go to Dr. So-and-so anymore, right? So anything just in writing that you would suggest? Yeah. Well, the good news is that very few insurance companies at this point will send letters to patients. Okay. And that's a that's a pretty positive development because what the insurance companies have learned is they look very bad in that situation as well because the doctor responds with a letter that says, we, we had to drop your insurance because they have crappy reimbursement. They're not willing to deal with us. So not many plans will send a letter. It's pretty infrequent. Okay, good to know. But yeah. certainly doing what we would call a complementary benefits analysis for the patient, which is a verification of their benefits as an out-of-network provider and showing that to them and say, hey, you know, the good news is, look, your, your uh, cleaning is still covered 100%. Your, your limited is still covered 100%. Your cleaning is still covered 100%. And guess what? It's still going to pay 50% of a, of a crown and 80% of a composite. So, yeah, having some sort of benefits analysis there 
is really a nice thing to, to show them. And if you start with the small plans, those that are 3% or less or 5%, then you're only talking maybe three or four patients a month. People. It allows yeah. you to get your systems in place and to get comfortable as you work up over time to getting rid of the bigger plans. Mm -hmm. right? Maybe XYZ company is 10% of your revenue. Well, until you've got your systems in place and you've worked through your dialogues and things like that, we wouldn't necessarily suggest that unless you're just bursting at the seams and you're booked out months at a time. Right. Or, or frankly, if their if their fortune coach said it's time, like we yeah. we don't deal with those kind of things. We're not experts on hygiene and marketing at all. We don't touch those. So if their coach is on board saying, "Hey, let's get rid of some plans." Mm -hmm. Hallelujah! You know, we can let's jump in and start getting rid of those that are ten percent. Right. I suggest unless their coach is on board, 3% is kind of the, the minimum standard. And what um, I see in the, uh, the chat, one of the practices that I work with, she said that the Delta, so she was contracted with Delta PPO and she dropped that to move to Premier, but Delta PPO sent letters to all their patients telling them that they were out of network, even though they were still in with Delta Premier. And they did a ton of research. I know, Lauren, I know who that is putting in the chat. Um, a lot of research and conversations with the patients. It's been a multiple month thing, but they did send a letter. Yeah, Delta is one that can definitely be a challenge on, on a lot of fronts. And what a practice might consider is if they want to get rid of Delta, they really might want to consider a seven to nine month ramp up period mm -hmm. where they're having those conversations with patients, a full recall cycle before they actually pull the plug on Delta and right. say, hey, you know, we're having some challenges. We love you as a patient. If we're ever forced into a position where we can't be in the Delta PPO, then I want you to know we would still file your claims. We would still, you know, help you maximize those benefits. And there's, there's some different ways to prep patients mm -hmm. ahead of time before Delta actually gets the chance to send them a letter. Now, in most cases, Delta does not. I mean, we, we have a lot of doctors who will drop the, the Delta PPO. Mm -hmm. And frankly, for most doctors, it's a really wise move. The, the number of doctors who benefit by dropping off the PPO and being premier is, is definitely skewed to the positive. But um, yeah, Delta would be one where they will sometimes send a letter to the patients on, on that particular topic. And uh, that's why prepping the patients well in advance is is a good preventive strategy. Absolutely. It's all about that relationship. And I think that, you know, which is so what we're all about. And I think that, you know, for the doctors on the line, having people make those phone calls, taking that extra couple of minutes will be so worth it in the end, because what you're writing off now compared to what you'll be writing off in the future is a huge difference. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, do you have any other like case studies or any other best practices that you'd like to share with us? It's been, I've learned, I've learned so much and I thought I knew what I was talking, what, talking about because I hadn't connected with you in a while. Yeah, what else are you seeing out there that we, we should take note of? Yeah, there, there's a really unfortunate trend with umbrella companies. So uh, an umbrella company is somebody like a Dentamax, a Connection, right. a Carrington, a Mavericks, a Zealous, a TDA, a Premier, depending upon what state you are in, Diversified. Those are companies that represent a group of, of insurances. Okay. And so I would really caution any doctor, never have more than two umbrellas. Okay. Okay. And, and we see practices that have every one of those. When you do that, you are creating 
the opportunity for insurance companies then to choose between those fee schedules. So I'll, I'll just, it's all right, I'll cite an example. This particular practice today, that this, uh, this is a, a large practice, 2.5 million, two doctors in, in Maryland. Um, they had one umbrella company with a $717 crown, one with a $916 crown, and one with a $1,002 crown. And they said, well, the, nobody ever uses the $1,000 crown fee. And I said, that's exactly right, because you've signed up for another one that has 717 and the insurance company gets to choose which fee schedule they use. They're not stupid. They're going to choose to pay half of 717 versus half of 1000 Correct. So if you're going to have umbrellas, never more than two, ideally just one, and, and that's really where we try and get our clients to go over time is to, to just having one good uh, umbrella. But if you are going to have two, then make sure that they have relatively similar fees. Otherwise, there's no benefit to having one great umbrella plan and one bad because almost everybody that has a link to an umbrella can choose to use the lower one. So that's a trend that we see doctors signing up for every plan. Please, please be very prudent there and, and just pick one and further with umbrellas. Now, umbrellas are not bad. Umbrellas are, are neither good nor bad. The thing that makes them such is the fee schedule they give you. So with umbrellas, at least every other year, you need to look at the other umbrellas in the marketplace and see if somebody will offer you a better fee schedule. Okay. If you're in the Dentamax umbrella, understand that a lot of the companies that are under Dentamax can also be obtained under Connection or Mavericks or Zealous. Okay, and so don't be stuck with Dentamax forever. Check on a every other year basis to see what other companies would would offer you. So again, in terms of of umbrellas, you've got big ones out there that would include Diversified. Uh, depending upon your state, I don't know where everybody's calling in from or participating from, but but Diversified is is a large one. Premier is a large one. Not to be confused with Delta Premier. This is Premier Dental. Connection is one. Dentamax is one. Maverist is one. Carrington is one. Um, th those, those are your largest national ones. If you were to look in Arizona, Utah, Nevada, you're also going to have one called TDA, Total Dental Administrators. So this is really why you need to do that analysis up front is, and identify what fee schedules are being used by the by the various insurance companies but that that group that i rattled off whatever that is seven or eight those are your largest national um, umbrella companies yeah. okay, wonderful wow what a wealth of information well clint i'd love to know um first of all to all of you participate or all of you joined us he's going to send me that that uh excel spreadsheet what we'll do in our um email that we'll send out tomorrow with the record link to this recording we'll also send our email address and you can email us and we will get that to you but clint why don't you just take a minute to tell us how do you work with clients and and um what's sort of your your process at profitable ppo Sure, happy to. So we, we work with practices that are, are dentist-owned, dentist-operated, and typically have three locations or, or less. So we, we really exist to, to help those practices where the doctor is actually in there doing the work. But what we do is, is we take practices through an optimization process. It's, it's uh, two phases. The first phase is very much like dentistry. We start with a, a detailed examination. So we would work with a practice, uh, if they have Open Dental or EagleSoft or Dentrix, we have them send us a report from their software 
And we look at every single insurance claim that was filed. We, we do a fee analysis and we create for them a, a breakdown of who they're with, how they're with them, and how much volume are they doing per insurance company. From there, we put together a game plan. So that's all what we call phase one. It's $1,150 for a, for a practice location that's you know, one or two doctors. Fee scales, obviously, if you've got 10 doctors, the, sure. the fee goes up. Uh, but for $1,150, we do that analysis. We go over all the findings with the doctor. And from there, they have two options. They can take that information and they can go out and act upon it. Okay. Don't owe us any additional fees. Or they can then have us go out and execute the game plan on their behalf. Talk to the insurance companies figure out who can be moved under different fee schedules, facilitate that process. That's about $7,500 over the course of a, uh, over a year. So that fee is just broken up over 12 months. We have a uh, minimum of a double their investment guarantee. Meaning if, when we do that analysis, if we say to a doctor, Hey, there's sufficient opportunity here. We're going to guarantee them at least a two to one, um, ROI. If not, we would refund all their money, which to be clear, we haven't had to refund anybody in probably four years on anything, because when we do the analysis, we're pretty clear if there's not pretty much no. And I know you guys have such integrity where I, I've, I've had clients of experience where you've said, I don't think I can help you out with this plan. You know, if you know that I know you're, you're really good about that. So, well, thank you so much for all this amazing information. Uh, It's been quite eye-opening for me. I didn't realize there were so many of those relationships. So we're going to be able to go back and really help our clients. And a lot of them are on the line. A lot of people maybe that we don't know are on the line. Thank you so much for joining us and everybody have a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on Fortune Management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com. 